Welcome to Scaling Up H2O, the industrial water treaters podcast. Hello, Scaling Up Nation. My name is Trace Blackmore, and I get the honor, I get the privilege of being the host of Scaling Up H2O. And folks, I want to thank each and every one of you out there because we have so many members of the Scaling Up Nation and we're getting stronger every day and we're doing that because you are out there telling other people about the Scaling Up H2O podcast. I can see that in our metrics and I want to thank you. I also want to thank all of the organizations out there that want to start educating the Scaling Up Nation about their organizations. I have had many organizations contact me and ask me if I would bring Scaling Up H2O to them so they can talk to you, the Scaling Up Nation, about what their organization does. As you are listening to this show, I am recording people at the International Water Conference in Orlando, Florida. And I am doing that because they reached out to the Scaling Up H2O podcast and said, we want to let the Scaling Up Nation know what the IWC is all about. So folks, while I am diligently recording all of these episodes, you will be hearing them in a couple of months and you will see what it is like to go to an IWC, an International Water Conference Convention. Well, last week we talked a little about goal setting and I was really surprised at some of the mail that I received where people were saying, thank you for reminding me that I created a goal this year and I really haven't done a lot to work on it. And I gave you some tips last week that even if you haven't started working on it, figure out what are the things that are getting in your way that are making it so you cannot start to work on your goal. If you can address those in the next two months, you can then start next year with a running head start and get something done. Get what you said mattered most to you accomplished within the confines in which life allows you to do things in. Folks, don't get upset if you did not, well, maybe you should get upset, if you did not do the planning that you needed to do in order to accomplish whatever goal that it was, that's where you failed. You have to incorporate those in your plans. For example, if this huge life-changing experience happened to you this year, and because of that, you weren't able to get a professional designation. Well, folks, that's the issue. We have to address how we're going to work with that life-changing experience. And then when we can figure that out, we can get that goal done. So make sure you're realistic about the action items that you need to take. Start working on that. And I promise next year, you'll be able to accomplish that. 
Well, today's guest is Eric Russo, CWT. Now, Eric's gonna talk about a bunch of things with us. Eric's an amazing gentleman. I met him two years ago at the Association of Water Technologies Conference in Orlando, Florida, and he came up to me and he said, I absolutely love scaling up H2O. And we had a great conversation. He had some great content ideas for me, and we just had a great conversation. So with that, I asked him, to come on Scaling Up H2O and explain what it's like to be Eric Russo. My lab partner today is certified water technologist Eric Russo of Dubois Chemical. How are you, Eric? I'm doing great today, Trace. How about yourself? I am doing great. I want to thank you for coming on Scaling Up. And you and I just recently met. We were at the AWT Convention and Expo, and I got the honor of shaking your hand as you accepted your Certified Water Technologist Certificate and came off stage there. And uh, you got one of those t-shirts that everybody wants. I did. I did. And I'm excited to have it. And the honor is all mine, Trace. I've been a huge fan since you've started the podcast. And I was really excited to meet you. I think the first thing I asked you was, can you draw me the picture of the phosphate breakdown? I heard about it on the podcast. <laughs> and we did that, didn't we? Didn't we do that on the side table? We did. And I think if I go through my AWT notes, I could probably find that cocktail napkin that you wrote it on. <laughs> well, that's awesome. And I appreciate you listening to the show. And since you've listened to every episode, any advice for me? You're doing a great job. I love the short format with the, uh, the pinks and blues. And I think gaining the input from the audiences is awesome, especially going to a weekly format. That's great. If you could do daily, that would be the best advice I have because I'm on the road every day. I got to tell you that you're not the first person that has told me that. And for podcasts to really get traction with an audience, they recommend that you do daily. And unfortunately, uh, and I'm sure you probably know this, the podcast doesn't pay that well. So I have to keep my day job. So probably weekly is the most I'm going to be able to do for a while. I guess we can live with that for now. I'm sure uh, <laughs> to, to move to another format, it would involve uh, ads popping up on the phone and all that good stuff. But I do appreciate the advice. And if somebody does have some advice, as you know, I am always all ears. So do you mind telling the Scaling Up Nation a little bit about Eric Russo? Absolutely not. I live here in the greater Boston area. And I actually went to school just about an hour north at uh, University of New Hampshire for my chemical engineering degree. I graduated from there in, in 2012. And like most traditional chemical engineers, I went and worked at a large manufacturing plant. Uh, it was a company called Clarion. They had a uh, manufacturing site just outside of Boston in, in Newton. And I worked there as a customer test engineer, uh, testing out catalyst elements. Are you familiar with, with uh, a catalytic converter in your car, Trace? I am. I am. But please tell the Scaling Up Nation more. Well, essentially what this is, is a honeycomb or metal substrate coated with a precious metal. And what that precious metal does is this is being used in industrial air purification applications where they're trying to eliminate or reduce a contaminate in the uh, exhaust stream. And the precious metal actually allows a chemical reaction to occur at a lower temperature. So we're using, using less energy to get the desired result. And we would manufacture these elements. And my role 
was to do activity testing on all the samples that we have in the field to ensure that they're performing as designed. And if they weren't performing as designed, we would offer what's called a rejuvenation process where the customer sends in all of their catalytic elements from a big exhaust system, from maybe a stationary engine, power plant, or industrial manufacturing site. And what we would do is we would uh, rinse them in an acid solution, in a caustic solution, and then we would throw them in the oven to essentially get the activity back to the the catalyst element themselves. And that was my first introduction to wastewater because I was charged with cleaning up that water before it got discharged to the city municipality. I can't tell you how interesting that is. My experience with catalytic converters is they're very expensive when they fail and you need a new one. They are extremely, extremely expensive. But the interesting part was when I'm working with these customers, you can offset the upfront cost of adding these elements by doing essentially a, a cost of ownership analysis on them. And you can help save the, the customer themselves on their utilities. So they're using less fuel to maybe run at higher temperatures where if you didn't have a catalytic component, you would have to run to get this desired reaction. So it was really my introduction to, to help saving manufacturing sites on their utilities, helping them ensure that they're running as efficiently as possible. Well, I'm so curious now, how do you go from that to becoming a water treater? You know, I couldn't even tell you how I would go about mapping out this career path because I had no idea that this industry of water treatment existed. And while I was doing the customer test engineer role at Clarion, I also had a whole bunch of school loans behind me because being the first person to go to college in my family, everyone was incredibly supportive, said, go get them, we're here for you. They didn't tell me not to go out of state and the school loans that were going to come with going to school for four years out of state. So I was actually doing uh, real estate on nights and weekends because it really just scratched an itch of mine of going out, building relationships, developing marketing plans. I guess you'd kind of categorize that as the, the sales aspect of it, that most traditional chemical engineering jobs, they really don't offer. And, and that was really what I was passionate about was developing relationships with people, understanding a process such as buying a home. I knew I would at least buy one at one day. And then helping these, I guess my clients at the time, uh, get through that process. And one day, about two years into my, my job, uh, running myself ragged, working nights and weekends, and then my full-time job, I get a call from a recruiter, and they started explaining this dream position to me where I have experience in wastewater treatment, which I, I didn't even realize there was a huge market for, which uh, I was incredibly wrong. Uh, and I would actually get this opportunity to combine my, my foundations in chemical engineering and my passion for growing and building relationships and helping solving people's problems. That sounds amazing. So were you looking for a job? Did they just call you right out of the blue? They did. They, they called me right out of the blue, and I'm incredibly thankful for that every day. But there's a catch to this. I went through, I went through the whole uh, recruitment process. I had three rounds of interviews. I won't say who the company was with because it, it is a big competitor. And I had a waiting period about two weeks where they said, we have to pause because we have a, a career star program where 
reps who are new and already in the program get the opportunity to relocate to wherever they'd like. So if, if no reps take this position, you are going to be uh, the successful candidate. So about a week later, I got a phone call that that position was backfilled. And we're sorry, your dream job no longer exists, but uh, we'll be sure to reach out to you. And, and I'm sitting there going, I didn't even know this industry existed. It just sounds so right. It combines everything that I've gone to school for, everything that I want to do. I need to start uh, looking around and, and seeing if there's other positions open. And uh, I was lucky enough to get an interview with Dubois Chemicals. And uh, it's been history ever since. That's fantastic. You know, a lot of people are either born into this industry like I was, or they have so many different ways that they found it. And yours just happened to come from a phone call. Exactly. Yes. I, I wasn't even looking. And, uh, you know, I, I think back and thank God I did get out of there because like a lot of manufacturing in the Northeast, that plant actually closed up and relocated down to Charlotte, North Carolina within maybe three or three or four months just after I left. So uh, it was a good time to go. So Eric, you described it as your dream job. Now you've been doing it for several years, is it? Yes, absolutely. After spending almost five years in this industry, I can tell you that it, it absolutely is still my dream job, or I should say dream career, because uh, everyone's positions will change as they develop and keep moving along. But I can say this does scratch every itch that I, I'm passionate, interested, and, and curious about. Well, that is awesome that you found water treatment because you and I had great conversations a few times at the Association of Water Technologies Expo, and it's very apparent that you enjoy, you love what you are doing. So I'm so glad you found the water treatment industry. We need more people like you in the industry. Well, thank you, Trace. So, and one of the things that I was so impressed about and how you and I met was you obtained the highest designation that any water treater can receive. You got your certified water technologist designation. And I know you did that with a plan. And there are a lot of people out there that are thinking, do I need to get my CWT? Is it worth all the stuff, all the commitment that I have to do? So I was hoping you could speak to those people in the Scaling Up Nation. Talk a little bit about why you went after your CWT and what was the plan that you used that allowed you to successfully get the CWT? Yes, it, it was absolutely worth going towards uh, the, working towards the CWT and obtaining that designation. Um, I decided to go for the, the CWT the moment I learned about it. And it was actually introduced to me by uh, my boss, Tom Mercer, who I would consider my mentor. He's always someone who is striving for me to do better every day. And I think that's also kind of a hallmark trade line uh, of what you say. But essentially, as far as my plan goes for getting my CWT, step one was as soon as I met the qualifications for the five years, which I was able to meet slightly early because I had my, my bachelor's degree in chemical engineering with additional relevant work experience, that I had a four-week plan laid out where I was going to start by briefly going through a, a brief overview of the different technical manuals that are out there, read through them so I had a general idea of what was going to be incorporated into the exam. But the next step, it's going to sound really tedious, but there's one important point that I want to make. It took me a while to understand this, is that everyone really has to understand how they absorb material, whether they do so by hearing it or whether they do so 
by writing it. Now, I heard that point in a book somewhere. I couldn't tell you which one at this point. I found out that the best way for me to really absorb and understand material was by writing it. So what I did, and it took quite some time, was I went through each one of the technical manuals and I wrote what I thought were abbreviated notes for each one of the manuals where I really kind of digested it down, used some shorthand writing, but essentially pulled out the most important information from each line. I have a stack of papers that's probably bigger than a technical manual itself from all my notes I put together for this. But just by going through the process of writing out each of the important points and the facts and and organizing the information in a way that's logical to me to help me understand it was really my first step in digging in deeper into the different material that's out there. And then off of the notes, once I went through all of those manuals, I then wrote out flashcards. So by going through that process, I had two opportunities to write out that information. So that helped me familiarize myself with it and actually just help everything stick. And then after I have those, those note cards written out, that's when the laborious part comes through, where I'm actually memorizing all of those note cards each step of the way. And those note cards are based off my notes, off the technical manuals and the study guides and, and practice exams that are out there. Now, how did you know it was the right time for you to take the examination? Well, I took your advice and I scheduled the date, so I didn't have a choice whether it was the right time or not. That's how to do it. Now, now let me ask, so did that help you keep on task because you knew you couldn't push that back? You already had a commitment, you told people about it, you paid for it, and you needed to make sure that you did everything you needed to do within those four weeks in order to pass that examination. Absolutely. It, it helped me prioritize what was most important that I had to get done. And it helped me stay on track each day when maybe an email might come through or there may be a phone call that I could hop on that may not be the most important thing I have to do that day. It helped me kind of eliminate the noise and stay focused and, and having a set timeline for sure. Did you go to any of the AWT technical trainings? I did. I did take a drink from that fire hose and (laughs) (laughs) that's a great way to look at it. You know, I I mentioned my mentor, Tom Mercer earlier, and and he is unbelievable. He's been in the industry over 35 years. He is an incredible resource for me. And I I could bounce just about any question I have off of him and, and get a good answer. But he absorbs all the information that he might not already have and have stored away by hearing everything. He remembers it once you tell him once. Now, he went to the technical training and he took the exam right after and passed with flying colors, told me, oh, no problem. This, this, this wasn't too bad. You'll be able to finish it up. And, and I kind of had to remind him I, I hadn't been in the industry for 35 years yet. When I went to the technical training, it was a great opportunity to get exposed to the material, but I in no way could actually absorb all of that information in that manner because that's just me. I, I know I have to write things out. And if I tried to do that, I'd probably have carpet tunnels at the end of the third day. I think one of the best things that AWT did was not offer the CWT right after that training. I think it puts a tremendous amount of pressure on people to do that. And the test center and their program is just so much easier to navigate And I've said on the show before, and Angela confirmed it, that I was pretty sure that people would put number 10's answer in number 9's box. And then when they get the answer 200, they're really at 199. 
oops, where did I make that mistake? That just cannot happen on the computer-based test. So I'm, I'm curious, which one did you take? I did take the computer-based test, and I, I did this at a Pearson View testing center close by to me. So if you don't mind, describe for the Scaling Up Nation what it was like to go to that testing center, what the format was like. Are there any tips on how to read the, the screen or, or how the screen is formatted? Yeah, it, I would say uh, first and foremost, make sure you get there early. It may not be a jam-packed session that day, but that's just a, a great tip in, in general. I think I was there probably an hour early with a, a short stack of note cards, the ones that I wanted to brush up on. And the process itself was uh, completely painless. You go in, uh, you sign in, think you need your driver's license with you that day. And essentially, you go into a uh, what I'm describing as a, a fish tank. You go in, there's uh, glass walls, there's cameras looking around to make sure everyone's staying on track. And uh, you log into your computer. And as you mentioned before, using the computer to go through the exam was incredibly helpful because it gives you options to maybe mark off a particular question that you maybe want to go back to or, or a question that you weren't exactly 100% correct on. And you can easily navigate to what is the, kind of the equations page or the, or the reference page that you have for an additional resource while, while taking the exam. And having the timers right up was, was really helpful as well to keep me on track. I did take uh, the entire time allotted for, for the exam, but I would say the Pearson View Testing Center was fantastic. It's, it's easy to go through. And uh, I remember I, I walked in there that day. There was no one else in the room. And that actually it kind of helped uh, me not get distracted. And being able to go through and, and go through the exam, I actually kind of have a funny story. I hope I don't shoot myself in the foot on this one. But, you know, after going through the whole exam, and I think they, they asked me, am I sure? And I was like, what kind of question is that? I, I'm already <laughs> struggling as it is. I, uh, and I selected the, the are you sure? And I'm, I'm, it pauses for a moment. And while that pause was going on, which kind of felt like, I don't know, at least a decade, I, I was a, a little anxious. You know, I spent a lot of time preparing for this exam. I just spent several hours going through each and every question. And apparently I, I was swinging my feet a little bit or kind of fidgeting. And what I did was I accidentally disconnected the cable to the monitor and the screen went black. And I have never, uh, my heart sunk into my chest. I got sick to my stomach. I looked around the room and, and mind you, I'm, I'm in this fishbowl. I know there's cameras. People can see me. And I, I have my hands up in the air going, what just happened? Please don't tell me all that time was a waste. And this whole exam, uh, I have to now retake over. I just can't do it. I'm going to have to reschedule for another day. Luckily, because we're at the Pearson View Testing Center, they're continuously saving each one of your answers. And come to find out, I, I only disconnected the screen. It wasn't actually the modem or, or anything doing all the thinking. And they, they, a gentleman came right in and helped me right away, plugged it in, and, and come to find out, I, I passed the exam. That's a fantastic story. I can't imagine what you were thinking about when that happened. Talk about a cliffhanger. <laughs> it, it was all horrible. It was horrible and devastating. I lost all skin complexion. Oh, I don't want to relive that moment. Well, I know the Scaling Up Nation appreciates that story. Stuff like that hopefully won't happen to anybody else. But uh, wow, I can't imagine what you went through. And now that you've got your CWT, what's it done for you? Well, the most important piece of this, I mean, to kind of factor in is, is 
I'm 28 now. When I, when I got my CWT, I was uh, 26 years old. I'm a younger guy in the industry, like a lot of the young professionals out there. And I don't exactly look like I'm 10 years older than I am. I'd say I have a baby face. So going into new customers, having the CWT from AWT is a great way to build credibility with the customer. And it also helped me internally to help build my confidence because when you're going to maybe a customer site that's having some issues, whether you already have the business or not, when they see a 26-year-old kid or a 25-year-old kid or, or even 22, because uh, I know that's the youngest, walk in there, sometimes these guys scratch their head and say, huh, how is this guy going to really solve my problem? And being able to inform them of the CWT and that, that I have that designation was incredibly helpful. And it helps build my confidence because I want to convey that to the customer and, and not a false sense or an overbearing sense of confidence, but just knowing that I'm familiar with water treatment. I'm familiar with any of the issues that, that could be out there. And if I'm not, I can at least leverage the resources that are available to me to help solve your problem. That's a great use of the CWT. So let's role play a little bit. I'm now that customer and I'm a little skeptical because my last water treater, he had more gray hair or maybe didn't have any hair because he's been in the industry for 35 years. And now you come in and you find legitimate reasons why you should be doing the water treatment rather than the other guy. But now I'm skeptical because you're younger than the other guy. What would you say? Well, what I would say is, Trace, are you familiar with the CWT? And I'm sure he'd probably say no. And then we go through the motions of saying, well, this is a certified water technologist designation that requires a rigorous exam, five years experience or equivalent, and it proves it's a designation set aside for the top water treaters in the industry. It's administered by AWT, the Association of Water Technologies that is nationally recognized as the number one association in our industry. And having gotten that CWT designation, I can prove to you from a third party that I am capable of solving your problems. I think that's awesome. And now you've taken some doubt away from that individual. And it's not just you saying you know what you're doing. You've referenced that third party and they can, they can look it up if they want to. I love that. Absolutely. Yeah, it, it was. it is great to have that CWT. And, and to be honest with you, it, it, when I first got into the industry, I think the first thing my boss said was, does your father have gray hair? Oh, no, no, he didn't go gray until maybe he's probably 45 or 50 or so. He goes, ah, oh, I was hoping maybe you were going to get a little salt and pepper on top at an early age, and that would help build some credibility. And he was joking, of course, but it, it, in the industry, there are a lot of people have, who have been here for a long time because it's such a great industry. And sometimes customers can be a little skeptical when their last guy was a seasoned veteran and here's some new guy coming in. I hear you. I had that happen to me as well. I was too young in other people's eyes. That's a good thing. And eventually you're not. I can tell you that as well. But uh, when I was considered for AWT president, that was one of the issues that people had. I was the youngest AWT president at that time. And one of my friends jokingly gave me a can of hair, white uh, spray paint stuff to spray in my hair. So I thought that was funny. I, 
it was even funnier that I used it and went to go talk to people that had issues with my age, but we won't get into that. <laughs> That's great. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what's the next milestone that you're going after? Well, I just completed a longstanding milestone in my career, and that was last November, I completed my MBA in marketing. So you just got your CWT and now you just got your MBA. That's fantastic. Yes. Thank you, Trace. And, and, and I'm really taking a moment now to kind of sit back, digest the information and see where I'd like to see my career go next. The MBA actually took right around three years, just actually probably about two and a half or so. I had a few semesters that I took off because uh, my wife and I got married and we actually purchased a house. So as you can imagine, the, the stress associated with planning a wedding, or I should mention the house was definitely a fixer-upper and we did a lot of the work ourselves, I, I did take a few semesters off. So at this point, I'm trying to figure out which way I, I should go in, in my career. But one really helpful project I've been involved with lately is uh, I've been a part of a CRM implementation team that, that's given me the opportunity to apply a lot of the lessons I've learned a lot of the material that I, I went through in getting my MBA. And after going through this process, it probably should take about two or three more months until the system is live and rolled out for the whole organization. Uh, I think I'll have a better idea where, where my next steps may be. But for this quarter's goal, it's definitely going to be CRM implementation, or I should say a successful implementation of the CRM program that we are working to design. Eric, for those listening that don't know what a customer resource management tool is, do you mind explaining a little bit about what a CRM does? Absolutely. So essentially, this is one location in, in simple terms to, to manage all of your customer relationships in all of the associated documentation, information, application info, order, order info, and all of the dialogue that you guys have back and forth in one one location. It's a central resource that's going to be accessible by all people throughout the organization. And what it does is essentially help you understand your customer better, manage that relationship better, and gather some insights from what it is they need and how you can do a better job helping them. I know there are people listening right now and they're thinking, okay, if I ran a call center or we were doing some direct marketing, that would definitely make sense why a company like that would use a CRM. But why is it important in a water treatment company to have a tool like that? You know, uniquely, the water treatment industry is really interesting because you have such a large field staff where they're often located in different areas. If you're in a regional company, it, it, you may have the luxury of going to an office or, or easily being able to set up a, a meeting and get everyone in the field at one location. But for some large organizations as well, where they may be nationwide, you have the ability to gather all that information, access all the information from the field and, and what's going on recently um, and, and have it in one location. So, for example, when you're going through processes in your organization that may cross over different functions, such as accounting or customer service or finance, they're able to access all the information you have. Most importantly, it, it, for us, it would come across in customer service because without the sales rep maybe calling up someone who may be having a billing issue or you have to process an order differently, 
the customer service rep can just click on the account and see everything that's been happening for that account over a given period of time. And it helps uh, facilitate effective communication throughout the organization. So do you have to have an MBA in order to set up a successful CRM program? Absolutely not. I would say to set up a CRM program, all you really need is generally a common understanding of how you deliver value to your customer and the processes associated with that. And then uh, it's an incredibly user-friendly software, or most of them are, I'm generally speaking, not with any particular software. Uh, and, And then you can tailor it to your individual business needs. What are some of the things that a water treatment owner needs to consider if they're saying, you know what, this sounds like exactly what I need. Everybody can communicate with each other because everything's stored in one place, but I don't know how to get started. What should they do? Well, the first step, anytime you're trying to make a change in your organization, especially something as robust as a CRM program that's going to be involved in every facet of your organization is making sure you have a culture that is going to accept change and ensure that the software that you're going to spend all this time and money developing and putting together and tailoring to your specific needs is actually going to be adopted. A lot of times organizations try to implement changes. They don't clearly convey the value that this change could have or they don't set up a culture that's necessarily willing to change. What are some lessons learned from you implementing a CRM program? So maybe another way to put that is what advice can you give somebody on some of the trials and tribulations that you've already lived through? The best advice I can give is making sure you you don't underestimate the time required to make sure this system or software is tailored to your specific business and how you guys operate because this software is offered in an out of the ba- out of out of the box format and it doesn't typically match exactly what you guys do it's capable of doing so but when you start introducing a new software and there's all a whole new language that it's using and they're calling customers accounts and they're calling contacts uh different different names uh you have to make sure that you you tailor it and invest the time up front to be able to for it to add value to your business definitely great advice now i'm curious i'm a huge numbers guy i'm a huge metrics guy so you're an mba you're a water treater you're out there doing service what are some metrics that we can attach to the service process so as far as the service process is concerned, it's really important to understand the frequency that each customer is, is going to receive a regular service visit. And it's also important to understand the time it takes to complete the service visit itself, on average, per se, uh, from a service standpoint. And you probably have a fancy name for that, like TTS, time to service. Exactly. How'd you know? <laughs> <laughs> of course. Yes. And, and you can you can have that tied into the system and be able to track. And it really helps to plan for individual reps if you're a service technician or like most of us who wear multiple hats. One day we're a service technician. Other days we're more of a sales role. And of course, we're always wearing our detective hat. So now that you have tracked some of these numbers, what have you seen? What have you been able to achieve because you're looking at things now? 
Well, what we're able to do is identify or, or gain some really deep insights within our business on opportunities for improvement and opportunities to improve our efficiency. As far as a metric standpoint go, and I almost want to take a step back as well, because generally, when you begin the process of, of adapting the software, you really go deep into the weeds of what your business processes look like because you're trying to map out the workflows and let's say you're submitting a new contract. Well, who has to approve that contract? Okay, what are the what criteria are they looking at for this contract? Is it profitable? Are we losing money? Uh, did they factor in enough time for service? And the first step is, is really understanding your business processes and understanding if you're, you're running those processes as effective as possible. So the exercise of, of beginning to design the CRM really helps in itself improve your business function. The other question that I'm sure people listening to this program are thinking, especially if they're working for somebody else, oh, this is just something else that I have to fill out. This is going to take more time than it's worth on the job. And I know you don't feel that way, but for those that do, what do you say to them? The most important piece to kind of overcoming that adversity is really ensuring that you communicate the benefits associated with using the software. It's really easy for someone to roll out the software and not openly explain to the different individuals involved that are going to be spending a good portion of their already busy days, oh, now we're adding more metrics. Now we're adding more numbers. But the first step is, what are we replacing? What were we doing before? Were we even tracking these? If we were, what system were we using? And how is this information being logged? When you can tie in all the information we're getting from the field, from customer service, from historical ordering invoices and things of that nature, when you can tie it into one centralized system, it really has the ability to save everyone a lot of time in the long run and help them be more effective and efficient at how they deliver value to the customer. I'm curious because I know you have one of these. You've got a dashboard that all these metrics feed up into. What are you looking at on a regular basis to make sure that the part of the company that you're concerned about is doing a good job? You can pick whichever part of the company you want to. I mean, I think the easy one to go after is sales. And sales revenue is one metric that uh, we, we track, and I'm, I'm sure a lot of other companies do as well if they like to stay in business, uh, as well as gross margins. And it's helpful to understand uh, from a performance evaluation standpoint, if you have sales reps in the field that have a, a target that they're looking to hit, from a sales manager standpoint, they're able to track their performance over time and then dig in as deep as they want to be able to further evaluate how they're doing, where they could use some improvement, and dig in deeper to understand, oh, well, there was a blip on the radar here. Was that a trend or is that just a one-off situation? Oh, okay, let me, let me look in a little deeper and you can see exactly what was going on with what customers, what product lines and quickly adjust uh, over any given period of time. A lot of people out there probably think they're doing that, but they're looking at lagging metrics. So how many sales were actually closed? And there's so much that we can do, especially as a sales manager, to help people get better, more productive. If they start using some leading metrics, 
what are some of the ones that you could recommend they do with that? So from a, a leading metric standpoint, I mean, from what I understand, and correct me if I'm wrong, it's more so involved in the, the pipeline. What type of activities are, are we looking to track that we believe are, are going to result with uh, our, our closed sales or our, our additional revenue that we're looking for? So the CRM does a great job at managing the pipeline. And the specific CRM that we've been working on is uh, Microsoft Dynamics. So it's a part of the Office 365 platform. And the most helpful part or the biggest advantage I've seen through this is that it fully integrates with Microsoft Outlook. So what I mean by that is you can actually start logging notes, setting reminders um, associated with a specific account or maybe a specific order all through your email client. And in doing so, you really don't even have to open up the Dynamics uh, uh, window itself. But the the metrics that we typically try to, to look at is the time it takes for each stage in the pipeline for a sales rep to convert or disqualify a, a prospect or lead. Yeah, I love that we're having this conversation. You know, normally on Scaling Up, we're talking about water treatment. But you have your MBA, so it's allowed us to take your perspective and look at areas of the water treatment business and kind of have us ask ourselves, what can we do on our day-to-day to make things better? And then how do we track that? Now, you mentioned Microsoft Dynamics CRM. We use that here at Blackmore Enterprises. I've also heard of people using Salesforce. There's about probably 12 others out there that I can't think of right now, but pick one that you're familiar with. If definitely you're using other platforms like Outlook or Microsoft Office 365, that you might want something that goes in to that uh, system and look at it that way and then figure out one, what you can afford and what's going to be most user-friendly to you and your people. Absolutely. I think that's a, a, a big part of uh, making the selection up front and understand what's going to fit your needs. How is this going to be used and what are you looking to come out of implementing this? But I will say, if you are using the office suite and it sounds like you have a lot of experience with it as well, Dynamics is, is definitely a great solution and the ability to, to access my accounts and orders just through Outlook is incredibly helpful. But from a a pipeline standpoint for for new business, a big part of what we were doing was really developing what is our sales process. You know, I I mentioned before, just going through the implementation procedures for uh, your CRM, it gives you a chance to take a second look at all the procedures that your company is doing right now and how can we make this better. So when we were going through each stage of our pipeline, We wanted to be able to understand, well, what does it look like in discovery phase? Or what are we looking to have done in the proposal phase? And are there any associated documents that we need to have attached here? Or maybe forget the attachment. Can we just create a form that's really easy for our reps to fill out that will automatically get inputted in here? And those were all really helpful conversations to have. And it really helped us. What we believe is going to do is, is create a highly effective team by being able to clearly communicate exactly how we're adding value to the customer and exactly what activities they need to go through to, you know what, I, I hate saying the word exactly, Trace, because I feel like it takes it turns people into robots. I should, I should really focus on uh, the ability to help guide them through this procedure. 
Well, you know, I'm thinking of my big thing is checklists. You know, we like to write procedures down so people do things within the standard that we do them in. And that's why people give us business and we want to make sure people uphold that standard. But if you've had this huge procedure, somebody's not going to look at that out in the field. So we reduce that down to a checklist. And based on what you said and what I'm getting to with that is there was a book out there called The Checklist Manifesto. And I don't remember the guy's name, but he said that when you're writing procedures, when you're writing checklists, the goal is, is that you make sure that they don't forget the stupid stuff. So they're doing this high-tech, you know, calibration or they're doing this troubleshooting, but it's that little silly thing that they're going to forget and that's what's going to bite you in the end. Absolutely correct. And we need to make sure that silly stuff is included. And when you're looking at these dashboards, these different forms that it's at the top, it's out in their face. We can't forget this one. You can't proceed without adding this piece of information, selecting this drop down or, or checking off this box. And it, I, that's a really good point. I mean, having these SOPs or, or checklists, uh, which is more applicable to this standpoint, is incredibly helpful in guiding the reps moving forward on each one of their opportunities that they're pursuing. I don't know if the Association of Water Technologies is going to pick one of the abstracts that I've submitted, but one of the papers that I've submitted for next year's convention is taking everybody through the process that I use to write those checklists. So maybe you'll hear me talk about that at AWT. Maybe you won't. We'll have to see if they pick it or not. That's great. I, I, if they don't pick it, I would love to have you forward off a copy because I don't know if it's because the first few books I read in my career were The E-Myth and uh, I think you mentioned uh, Good to Great as well. Those were really instilled in me moving forward through my career. And nearly every activity that I go through when I first started is I put together a checklist or a standard operating procedure something to have a living document available for me to help make sure that I can assist my customer in the most effective, efficient way possible, and that I always have some type of, of way of documenting. Because as you've mentioned before, if it doesn't get written down, it doesn't happen. Or if it doesn't get documented, it didn't happen. Well, that's great advice. And I feel so much better about myself because I thought I was the only one that loved policies and procedures, but there's another person out there. So thank you for identifying with me. I should send you over my grocery checklist. <laughs> that's awesome. Yeah, that's, that, that was definitely a big passion for me. You know, on my first job, my first month working at the company, they got acquired uh, by a much larger manufacturing uh, much larger specialty chemical company and a lot of my first year and a half at that position was working with these third-party consultants that corporate had hired and going through each and every procedure that we performed under the different roles and understanding how can we make an SOP out of this how can we create repeatable results and how are we sure that it's going to reach the desired effect each time? And a lot that, and along with those books that that I had mentioned earlier, really, uh, I I pull that through the rest of my career. Well, I got to tell you, I'm impressed to hear that you read the E Myth. I always recommend people that are trying to start their own company that that's the first book that they've read, and you learn that you're a very good technician but you really don't know how to be a business owner. And that's why most businesses failed. So I think it's awesome that you've already read that. 
Thanks, Trace. Yeah. And it really helped clarify a lot of things in real life. I mean, I, I was looking back and growing up, my father had his own company. Uh, he was a carpenter and he ended up actually going into the union because he was the best technician out there. He was a perfectionist. No one did better work than him, we'll say. And then maybe once a month, he put on his manager hat and actually sent out some invoices, we'll say, or, or, or probably more relevant, he, he spoke with the uh, other people he had working with them and helped kind of work them towards a common set of goals. But uh, once in a great while, he put on his entrepreneurial hat. And that was probably the day he started his business. And I don't know if he ever put that one back on. Well, Eric, this has been a great interview. We're talking about things that I didn't think we were going to talk about when we first started the interview. I didn't think we were going to be talking about CRM, but we did. And I think a lot of people in the Scaling Up Nation are now thinking, wow, if I track something, I can actually make it better. And there are tools out there that will make that easier for me. So I want to thank you for bringing that idea to the Scaling Up Nation. And I look forward to hearing back from people out in the nation of how they're using that or what ideas that they have. But with that said, I thought we could go right to the lightning round if you're ready for it. I'm ready for it. All right. So my first question, we're getting into the DeLorean. We're going back to the very first day you started as a water treater. You're not going to give yourself some advice. What is that advice? The first piece of advice I would give myself is don't only focus on efficiency, but also factor in effectiveness. It's great if you can do a task faster than anyone. Best example I can give you is the best door-to-door -door salesman is highly efficient, but it's probably better off if he maybe makes a phone call or shoots off an email if he wants to have a bigger effect on gaining new business. Yeah, something we do here that you remind me of is we try to be as fast as we can with our testing procedures. But who cares if we're fast if we're not doing the procedures correct and we're getting the wrong result? So what we'll do, and I think the guys like it, but uh, they've never told me they haven't, is I'll make up a batch in the lab and I know exactly what that sample is. And we'll see if they can do it within a certain amount of time and how accurate they are since I designed it by weight. So I don't know if that sounds crazy or not, but uh, that's one of the ways that we make sure everybody's keeping up on making their tests not only quick, so we're not wasting time on that, but we're not losing the effectiveness of those tests too. I think that's great. That, that follows in line with making sure that you always have a way to calibrate any sensor that you're using out in the field. Make sure there's always a check to ensure that you're getting the results that you believe you are. And I'm sure you'll enjoy that I have a procedure for doing what I just described. Really? <laughs> I, thought, I, I, I couldn't imagine that you would skip over that one. <laughs> I figured you'd enjoy that. All right. So my next question is, what are the last few books that you've read? The last few books that I've read, I just completed this one on my, my flight home from my vacation, was Measure What Matters by John Dewar. And that is all about OKRs, which is objective and key results. And it goes along with a lot of what you said in your year-end review and setting quarterly goals. And it goes into depth about Google and the Gates Foundation and how do they utilize these OKRs. Uh, it's really a leadership process to set, communicate, and monitor quarterly goals that are most important to uh, achieving the results that they're looking for. Well, I'm curious, as an MBA, how many acronyms can you name? So you got uh, OKRs, KPIs, what are some other ones? 
we need a whole nother podcast episode for this. <laughs> <laughs> Fair enough. You're getting ready to tell me another book. Oh, so the, the other two uh, was actually from your recommendation. Million Dollar Maverick from Alan Weiss. We all know about that one. You've mentioned it before on your podcast. I took your recommendation. I appreciate that because like you, I do use Audible all the time. And it came about a few years back and that's with me every day playing in my car. Uh, and I really, I really like that one. That was more of a, a comical book where measure what matters. At times it got a little dry. And then the third book that I read was The Advantage. And you, I believe, have that on your recommended book list. But the reason I read that is because my wife actually had to read that for work as a part of a, a leadership team that she was on. And, and those were the three most recent that I've read. And we mentioned a few of my other favorites that I think are your favorites as well, which is uh, The E-Myth, Good to Great. And one that I just started reading again, and I tend to do that. It's great with Audible. You can go back and, and brush up on a book and try to get a new insight. It's the 10X Rule. And it's with Grant Cardone, who is definitely a little intense for sure. But once in a while, you just he's, he's a little intense. I'll give a fair warning to the audience. But it, it's good. It, it's comical and, and it's good material. But essentially, it's up to you to take responsibility. And I think that's a really good point to make. In the end, it's, it's all about your ability to figure out what you want and how we're going to be able to get it and, and achieve the goals that, that you set forth. Well said. Well, eventually they're going to make a movie about you who plays Eric. I had to reach out to my wife for this one as well. She might just be watching a little too much Arrested Development, but I'm going to go with Jason Bateman. I love that guy. And not the Jason Bateman from Ozark. It sometimes gets a little dark, but the Arrested Development version, that's going to be perfect. So he and I are the same age. So um, you could have picked me too. I'm, I'm available. Nobody's ever picked me. All right. Last question. If you could talk to anybody throughout history, who would it be with and why? Well, my choice is someone that's already been said before, but I think it's that important to have this guy reiterated. It was mentioned by Jim Laria on episode 47, but Leonardo da Vinci. It really deserves a second look to express the significance of this particular guy. I mean, he is most well known as an artist and a painter. But he's also an engineer, architect, scientist, inventor. It goes on forever. He's an expert at all of them. And he had no formal education. I mean, to be able to have a conversation with someone who is so ahead of his time with such unbelievable foresight would be fantastic. Now, the runner-up to Leonardo da Vinci with his foresight would probably be Colin Frayne talking about the future of the industry. And if, if we listen to him, I better learn how an RO works much better than I already do. And Colin will tell you that he is ahead of his time. <laughs> oh, he, he's a great resource. He's awesome. Well, Eric, thank you so much for coming on Scaling Up H2O and uh, sharing your story and giving us some things that I'm pretty sure most of us haven't thought about. And I love that you're talking about you're measuring things, you're making things better, and you've really given the audience handles about what they can do in order to start doing that. So thanks so much for coming on the show. Oh, thank you, Trace, for having me. I really appreciate it. And as I said before, I've been a huge fan since the beginning, and I'm, I just feel really lucky to be able to get on the show. Well, Eric, thanks for coming on Scaling Up H2O and sharing your story. And especially congratulations on your MBA. You know, talk about a goal. That's not something that happened overnight. 
That is something that Eric had to plan because that changed what he did on a daily basis. Folks, if you don't keep up with classes like that, they will very quickly start to steamroller you. So he made sure that whatever he had to do to carve out time in order to do that, he figured out what it was and he did it. Now that might be easier said than done, but most people get stuck because they never start. So if that is what is keeping you from whatever your goal is, start it. Well, have a plan first. Start your plan. So many people will create a plan, or maybe they don't even get to that plan step, but they never start doing something. When you do something, it's one more thing than you have done before, and this continue that momentum. You're not going to get an MBA overnight, but after years of him working that plan, he finally received it. And again, congratulations on that. That is a great accomplishment. On episode 92, I told you about my TED Talk experience, and I told you of all the things that happened in order for me to produce that TED Talk. It was not, I woke up one morning, I drove down to Tim Fulton's conference, and I did that TED Talk. No, there was a whole bunch of stuff that happened there. So, if you haven't listened to episode 92, you can see that there was a lot involved and maybe that will inspire you to do whatever you are trying to do. In that episode, I talk about Michael Phelps and we all know Michael Phelps as the Olympic champion. We know that he has more medals than anybody else. He's got 23 gold, three silver, two bronze. In that episode, what I reveal is what many of us do not know about Michael Phelps is that he was in that pool practicing each and every day. Now, if we just know his Olympic accomplishments, we're not taking into account what he did every day for years. And that's when he became a champion, was in that pool each and every day, sequentially, with baby steps. So again, whatever you are going to do, start and then be consistent. Folks, I started the show by thanking everybody for letting other water treaters know about the Scaling Up H2O podcast. And I'm going to ask you, I'm going to end the show by asking you this. Can you please, when you find a water treater, let them know of the Scaling Up H2O podcast. Now, some water treaters, you might actually have to show them what a podcast is and then how they can get that. But if you do that, we can make the Scaling Up Nation bigger and then we can all make the water treatment industry better. And a rising tide raises all ships and that will benefit each and every one of us. Folks, I'll see you next week.